0: So we're beginning a new series called "Beheaded," and um, <clears throat> I'm just going to talk about this just real briefly here. In order to be headed, you have to be headed. You have to be beheaded. You have to be beheaded to be headed. And as believers in Christ, uh, some of us need to be beheaded so we can be headed with the headship of Christ. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about that over the next several weeks and um, um, maybe over the next couple months. I want to talk about just the importance of the headship of Christ in our lives. Um, So much of us are trying to find our spot and create headroom for ourselves that we neglect creating headroom for the headship of Christ in our lives. Make sense? And and it's very innocent. We do it innocently, but the reality is, we are so focused on ourselves that we forsake Him in all of our ways. I was riding in the car the other day. I got this. We actually paid off our car about a year ago. Um, so praise the Lord. Ever. And um, most people go and get another car, and that's. I'm not object to that. I used to do that too. And. I decided, hey, I'll let this one run until it dies and rots out on the bottom of the floor because, you know, I don't know if I'm growing up or just changed my philosophy on cars, but we're doing that. But I do, I am annoyed with it, and I have thought many times about getting a new car because I don't like the headroom that's in there. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because they designed this car in such a way that it has a small windshield and literally my head, if I lean forward this much, rubs against the front of the visor. And so, um, I'm not even JD. JD's huge. He he wouldn't even be able to sit in there. He he'd have to side cock it out the window. You know what I mean? And and it's, it's just tiny. There's no headroom. I believe that, I believe that a lot of us live our Christian life this way. We have we have created no space for God to move in and rest on our lives. We fill it with all our wants, all our desires all our ambitions, all of our goals, and our wills. And there is no headroom for him to intervene. (laughs) Oh, man. Some of us need to trade in our car and create some headroom, or we can be beheaded. (laughs) I know this is gross. It's not even Halloween. Like, I should have done this in October, right? And we can create headroom that way. (laughs) Some of us, listen to me, some of us think that the answer to our life is to trade in our life for someone else's. That that's how we create headroom. Or to trade in our stuff for somebody else's stuff. And he said, it's not about trading it in. You can create space by denying yourself and lifting me up. (laughs) How many of you are willing to sacrifice Alright, that's good enough. I laid the foundation for the series. I'm not really good at that. I just kind of jump in there and start preaching junk. By the way, the title of this sermon is Headroom. So you can put that on top of your notes. Now, I, the Lord gave me very specific instructions on this sermon and what I should preach and the order I should preach it in. I don't think it's very organized, but then he created the whole earth. and stuff, so I figured I ought to listen to what he had to say. So some of you here today are going to look, maybe look at the order of my sermon, maybe you think you can make a better outline, so do I, but God told me specifically what to say today, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it in the order he said it, and so here we go, Genesis 6, they may have some of these verses, you're going to have to be ready today, I'm going to pop through some verses Um, they'll probably add them by the second service. You won't be here to be a witness of that, but they at least have this one. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. This is God speaking to Moses and giving him the plans for the ark. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. That's valuable. Because a lot of us cover the outside of ourselves with pitch, but we don't. We devalue the inside work that needs to happen in our life. You cannot be secure. You cannot keep yourself from sinking by simply just covering the outside with pitch. And many churches and many believers stay busy just covering themselves on the outside with pitch. But do you have to understand that the best work, the most effective work happens on the inside. Some of us need to allow the Holy Spirit to cover the inside with pitch. Some of us are sinking because we are going through the motions and we have made the outside look secure, but the inside is tormented. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. For the sake of your edification today, I did some research. Commentators believe that that is 510 feet long, 85 foot wide, and 50 foot high. That's big, (laughs) right? That's really big. And I want to speak today about the headroom in the ark. Some of us are really excited when we have a house, if we have a house that has 10-foot ceilings. The ark was 50-foot tall. There were rooms specifically, and there were three levels, but not all levels were the same height. And he created, because there were some spaces that need bigger headroom. Let me just pause there for a second most of us, we evaluate our own life and we, and we design our life around the headspace we need, not considering those around us. Many of us find rooms that make us comfortable with small headspaces not large headspaces. Because when you go to places with large headspaces, you run into people with bigger personalities, greater experiences, greater giftings. Many of us will find people that have the same headspace as us so we're not intimidated by them. We build our life around people. When we don't know about money, we build our life around people who don't know about money because I don't want to enter a room with someone who has a higher way of thinking about money than me because it'll make me uncomfortable. We find churches, track with me now, I ain't ain't yelling, I ain't spitting, but what I am saying is valuable today. And we find churches and we, we look for churches that have the same headspace as us. Come on now, listen to me. We get frustrated in church because we're challenged in church. What that is is, is sometimes a church will raise the headspace to make you feel uncomfortable. If we build churches around the lowest common denominator, we have, we have put a roof and a ceiling on the potential of what people can become. What if Noah built the ark for the headspace of a squirrel? We got some squirrels in the church. I'm not trying to insult you, it's just natural. But we got some squirrels in here. Can I say something to you today? God loves squirrels and he saved them. Some of us need to identify whether we're a squirrel or not and we need to understand that God loves us and saves us just the same. (laughs) Some of us squirrels have created headspace that makes us comfortable so we'll never become anything greater. It's interesting because the ark housed giraffes, which I think is why that height was what it was. (laughs) Right? And it also housed squirrels. Um, we think sometimes about, I remember being in youth ministry and I remember having a lot of conversations with youth pastors and like, man, Sean, because what I preach to you is what I preach to the teens. And you think I'm exaggerating, I ain't exaggerating. And I would have youth pastors that would talk about the importance of preaching down to the lowest common denominator. And I would try to preach above our highest common denominator because you even have to create headspace for those who are steeped in who he is. That's why leaders track with me today. Leaders, everyone here I've been trying to teach you for several years is a leader. All you leaders in here, you need to understand that it is important that those that you lead do not surpass you in your desire and your pursuit of Him. Because then, how can you lead those that have greater headspace than you? Are you with me today? It is amazing how those that we lead can surpass us in the knowledge and the pursuit of God and their willingness to submit to God. And then those we lead begin to lead us. Parents, if your kids are more passionate about God than you are, You're not leading them. They're leading you. And I don't care what their age is. Age has nothing to do with pursuit. Come on now. Husbands, lead your wives. If your wives are more hungry for God than you, we got a problem. And I want you to understand today in the church, we got a problem. Listen to me today. Listen to me, man. The day we have women drag, we have women dragging men to church today. We have women dragging men into faithfulness and the service of him. Men, you can't be the leader of your home if you're running in squirrel headspace. Are you with me today? Okay, I think that's good enough for that. I can't even believe I got that much out of that. That's, a, that's the most boring verse in the Bible. <laughs> Only God, right? Only God. So these these are the kind of scriptures you read over and like, pff, pff, pff. why is that in there? <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, okay, I, I, I like this. I kind of wrote this down because um, God said it to me. Um, God went to Noah, he, with every promise comes an instruction. See, what we want in the church is we want the promise without the instruction. Every promise has a key, and you have to use the key. Every promise has an instruction. And I know this is Old Testament, but baby, listen to me today. Even though Jesus died for you, there are treasures locked up that you can't get if you don't follow the instruction. And some of us are trying to pray our, ourself into a promise when God says, I've already given you everything you need to do to get the promise. You need to stop praying, and you need to follow the instruction. Come on now. Now, I'm not saying that. Here's, what, here's the trouble in a lot of denominations is that we begin to take this subject, which is right and is truthful, and we begin to apply it to a sinful life that if you would follow the instructions, then you would be saved. No, you can be saved, not follow the instructions, and live here on earth as if you are in hell. And I want you to know you're currently living in one of the heavens, but the reason we don't get to experience the fullness of this heaven is because we don't follow him in the fullness of his instruction. Oh, come on now. Oh, man. Okay. Oh. I try not to get excited because it just looks weird playing back on the video. But I want you to know, I just can't help but get excited about some of this stuff, you know. Promise must be fulfilled. I, I, I watched this, I don't even remember what it was. It was something about D'Artagnan and, oh, it was the Iron Mask. Man in the Iron Mask. And, and I, I, they said this, promises must be fulfilled. Promises can never be the end in itself. Okay? I'll, I'll let the, do what you want with that. I, th- I thought it was awesome. I don't have time to explain it. We're moving on. I, I wrote this down, and I, I feel like so, some of us, some of us are always pushing off our obedience to fulfill the promises of God and be obedient to what He's called us to do because we're waiting for someday. Well, someday he'll move for me and someday I'll be healed and someday he'll deliver me from my stress and someday my family will be saved. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, maybe you've experienced it, but I have never experienced it. I have never experienced someday. Ever. We need to take our someday, and we need to be obedient today. Some of us need to quit pushing off for tomorrow what God has called us to live in today. Okay. Someday I'll be obedient. Someday you'll deliver someday. God's saying, it is not someday. <laughs> Some of us treat our Sunday like someday. Someday. That wasn't even on my notes. That's just a bonus for you. Okay. As long as I've lived, I've never run into someday because it's always being pushed off to another day. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, and I would encourage you to look it up. I'm going to look it up myself. Boom, I had it marked. <laughs> I beat you. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. I want to encourage you. This is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. One of the most popular verses in the Bible. Uh, verse, I don't know the reference, but um, it is one. Uh, it says this It says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. Now, this is New King James Version. Let me do it in another version for you. Let me do it in King James Version. It says, But. But where there is no vision, the people perish. Happy is he who keeps the law. Let's back up. Because some of us think that vision comes from the leadership of the church. I don't know how to say this. There's no right way to say this because you could take every word that I used. I used, I even went to the, to the anonym and synonym thing and I tried to find a right word that would actually communicate what I'm trying to say. But we think it's vision imparted when really we're supposed to help people realize and have vision. That's what it's talking about here. It's not talking about me imparting vision to you because I can say what I see But if you don't see what I see, then it won't be your vision. It's just you hearing about mine. Come on now. There's a difference between a blind man hearing somebody who can see, describe what they see, and the difference between you being able to have sight and see that thing that I'm describing. Come on now. The goal of the church is not to just describe for you on Sunday morning all the wonderful things that I'm seeing in my relationship with him because we still have blind people who just are trusting that what I see is really what I see. My goal is to help lay hands with the fivefold ministry of the church. Jesus always laid hands on people, apostle, I, prophet, evangelist, pastor, pastor teachers. Right? Okay, the, the five-fold ministry of church to lay hands on your vision and your eyes so that you might see it yourself. <laughs> we built leadership, philosophies around people in leadership, pastors and teachers being able to give vision. But the vision he wants you to give is a healing touch that helps people see. Yeah. Jesus didn't go up to a blind man and say, well, let me encourage you today. Do you want to see? Yes. Well, there's a tree over there, and there's a stump right there, and there's a bunch of people over here to the left. Now you have seen. Isn't it amazing how we create dumb theology around unintelligent and unintelligent comments and our, our inability to look back and see what the context of this scripture is. You really want to know what this context is. So, so let me. So some of you are here saying this. Well, Sean, then how are we going to be able to see? Well, it talks about that in Proverbs. Listen, if you go backwards, it says this. Let me see where I want to see. A fool vents all his feelings. This is verse 11. But a wise man holds them back. If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. The king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. The rod and rebuke gives wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Oh, I show love to my child by letting him do whatever the heck he wants. We're friends. We're friends first. I want them to know that I love them. You need to rebuke them. Because if you don't rebuke your child, your child will be successful at bringing shame to your whole house. I don't care if you do time out or whoop a honey. I don't care. Rebuke them. Rebuke them. Well, I, I just, you know, we live in a world now where everybody, well, they just find in their way. They're just finding their way. It's everybody's individual truth. No, it's not. It's not everybody. You know, this is a war on our, not only on our culture, it's a war in the church. Okay. All right, I'll move on from that because I feel the tension rising. Right. God's calling us to rebuke the rod and, the, and rebuke give wisdom. The rod. Oh, I just, I just pat his head with that rod. No, you don't. Anyway, we'll just move on from there. Rebuke gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked are multiplied, transgressions increase, but the righteous will see their fall. Listen to this, correct your son and he will give you rest. Some of you ha- don't have rest because you can't discipline your children. Hold on, just let that one sit in there for a second. Just, just let that one just sink in, just sink in. I got to navigate this very carefully. Let's just wait, just so everybody take a breath. Just, but I'm going here, I'm going here. God told me, I think. <laughs> Let me let me just navigate this carefully. We have people that that need to be Medicaid. We have children that need to be Medicaid. They're all chemically off balance. I understand that. I'm not, you know, we have this ADHD. We have all this stuff. I'm not I'm not speaking against that. But some of that is not even that the kid has been really truly diagnosed with anything. It's that you won't discipline. Now don't don't email me this week because that one will get an email. I just want to warn you, I'm not going to respond to it. I love you, and if you feel convicted about that, there's a reason. Don't get mad at me. I'm not saying there isn't truth to, to, to kids needing help, but a lot of the help kids need today is a parent being a parent. Okay. Now, be very careful. Don't walk out of here today and go, that kid, yep, that kid, that kid, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep. Y'all devils, y'all devils. Now, don't do that because you don't know their situation. I can say it up from here in a broad stroke because in reality, there, I, be, I believe, and I don't know for sure, but I believe there's a lot of undisciplined kids that are unruly kids. Okay, that, I, I really need to move off that one. and then, But it's telling us to rebuke. Now, listen, in the church, if you come here and you just want to be encouraged and loved on and made to feel perfect when you leave, you're in the wrong place. Because he's telling us the way that you are healed to see vision and have revelation is to be corrected for the direction you're going in your life. <laughs> Part of Sunday morning is coming, putting your head in a guillotine and having your head cut off. <laughs> because for you to create headspace, I mean, listen to, and I'll just be honest with you, some of you are just not willingly going to go lay down on Monday morning and be beheaded. That's what Sunday's for. Welcome to Echo Church. You know, I mean, no, I'm just trying to help you understand. Like sometimes we build these philosophies, theologies to, to create headspace for ourselves, and then Sunday is an opportunity for us to go no, and us to, and then it's to have to redevelop what we see and how we see. I was just messing with my kid the other day, and I said, Hey, what's that on your nose? And he was like, what, what? You know, because everybody thinks they have a booger when you say that. What? And he was really nervous. And what's that on your nose? Well, I don't know what's on my nose. I can't see my nose. What is it? And I said, nothing. That's it. That's the end of the story. (laughs) But he couldn't see. There wasn't nothing on his nose because he couldn't see himself. Track with me now. Uh, I'm, I'm doing good today. Some of us need to come. Some of us need to get to a place where God allows us to see ourselves. Some of us need to get in rooms where other people can see you for what you are. And you need to be able to listen to them because you can't see yourself. And as much as you want to be self-aware, as much as you want to be, you know, you can't see yourself. So some of us need to run in rooms where people will see us and not just see us, but tell us what they see, even if it's nothing. You couldn't see it because you can't see yourself. Some of us need to quit trying to see ourselves through the lens of our intentions and we need to see ourselves. Come on. Other people need to show you who you are. And let me tell you, those conversations are beheading. Are you willing and brave enough to run in rooms where people will call? Sin, sin. I'm going to say this, and I'm moving on to the next point. That was just my introduction, but I'm moving on to the next point. Is this. I don't believe that the devil is trying to keep people out of church anymore in our culture. Because a lot of times, the church is helping the devil by what they preach. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. In the last days, people will, will, will seek out to be, just be edified and built up. In the last days, blah, 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 blah. I want you to understand that's in the church too. Because we are preaching, very, in a lot of ways, we are preaching messages that appease people instead of calls them out of the sin they're in. I believe the devil isn't trying to keep people out of churches any longer. I believe he's okay with them coming because we are getting more more messed up today by the church than if we didn't come at all. <laughs> There's a big sell point for a pastor who wants you to come to church. <laughs> I, I want you to understand I think it's my goal to speak truth even when it's uncomfortable. I had two. I made a. I made a comment. I made a comment about um, dealing with sin and confronting sin. And then I made a. I made a comment about, hey, you know, you can judge this sin, but you can't even love your president. I had two families leave church over that, mad at me about that, because I'm calling you to love. I didn't say you had to agree with everything he does, but you're called to love. If that's going to make you leave our fellowship because you don't like the fact I'm calling you to love your neighbor as yourself, goodbye. My hope would be that you'd stay and that you stay in the unsettled place of that challenge and be able to grow up into the full measure of the headship of Christ. But the problem is you can't be beheaded long enough to actually get his headship. There we go. That was good stuff. All right. I told you, it was, anyway. Listen to this. Sin should never be comfortable in church. And the church has become so seeker sensitive that it has made sin comfortable. Now I come from a culture and a tradition that if you sin, you're going straight into the pits of hell. Every sin every wrong word so I was praying every night praying to God in heaven if I died I would actually be able to go to heaven listen we don't need to live in that kind of fear that's a that's a demonic fear we have we are we have a guarantee through the Holy Spirit that he has sealed up in us but we should not be comfortable when we are walking in sin it should make us uncomfortable and the church needs to begin to point its finger and rebuke that which we walk in that God did not design us to walk in so we can actually fulfill the promises he has for our lives it's time to church, be the church, and stop trying to be friends with people like parents are friends with their kids. That's good stuff. I, you know, I don't know how people are getting saved in these messages. I don't even know how that happens. Seriously. Maybe it's because people are sick and tired of, uh, of the church professing that there is something more, but not living like it. Maybe they're just excited that, that finally a group of people care enough. And it's not, we're not the only group. But a group of people, they have, they have encountered a group of people that care enough about chasing him. They may not be perfect, but they do believe there's something more. And they're calling other people to more. That's important. Because otherwise, if there's not more for us, then what are we doing here every week on our Sundays? Okay. 2 Corinthians says this, sometimes, track with me, sometimes pressing is required to create headspace. Okay. First thing is you need to get in some different rooms. Sometimes you need to get into bigger places with people that have bigger headspace. Sometimes pressing is required. No, no, no. Pressing is required. All right. I'm not saying God's trying to beat you up, but listen to this. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. There's not up there on the screen. They'll have it for the second service maybe, but you're not going to be here. (laughs) It says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is for believers. That the exceeding, the excellence of his power, of the power may be of God and not of us. The treasure is there so that God can get the glory. We've got to be intentional about understanding that. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Just by the simple nature, let's make this simple. There's a lot of theology in this. But just by the simple nature that you have his treasure, you will be pressed on every side. There's a guarantee that opposition comes where his treasure is revealed. All right? Opposition comes. So, listen, we need to, as, as believers in Christ, stop whining about the opposition and understand that it, that it creates revelation of the treasure. Okay. Because when you're pressed and you can stand up in it with grace, it shows what you have. And what you have is not like what your brother has. We need to stop complaining as believers. And we need to understand that the strength in us can only be manifested by us handling our opposition differently than the world handles its opposition. I'm preaching real good. All right. Always caring about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. We care about the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested. How is that going to happen? For we who live are always delivered to the death to death for Jesus' sake. Awesome. Can't wait to be a Christian. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. In our mortal flesh. How? By being beheaded so that you can beheaded with him in your mortal flesh. Oh man, that's... Okay, listen to this. This is so cool. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Now this is... Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. Death is working in me that life may work in you. Come on now. People in relationships, whether family, whether marriage, whether, whether friends at school, teenagers or college students or young adults, whatever your relationship, you bring life to your neighbor by laying yours down. Come on. That's why it says, men, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Lay it down. Men, if you're fighting for your rights, your wife won't have life. It's time to lay your life down and die that the death of Christ may be manifested in you. Listen, that she might have life. It's not about you. It's all about him being manifest in them. Come on. That's a believer in Christ. That's why we have to move beyond the consumer mentality into delivering that which we already have. And the the conduit by which that goes is by you becoming less and him becoming more in the people around you. Some of us want to become less so he can become more in us. We become less that he might become more in our neighbor. The death in me, the life in you. The more I die to my wants and my wills, the more life you have. Come on, that's good stuff. Come on, that's good stuff. Oh, you should be shouting me down. Okay, here we go. We're pressed on every side. Let me see that. Pencil, baby, just for a second, I'll give it back to you because I know you're trying to take notes, okay? Say this is a pencil, and if I were gonna sharpen it old school, I pull out my buck knife (laughs) and I would I would press down and I would push down and turn and press and push and press and push and press and push until it makes a point. Can I ask you a question? Some of us spend our whole life trying not to be pressed so we're never sharpened and we never make a point for the glory of God. Oh man, oh man, oh man. Christianity is about you saying something, not smearing something. Oh man, I just, I just let it say it that. I mean, uh, oh, 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 oh. oh, oh. oh. I want, to, I want to encourage you because it says, We're pressed but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned, um, struck down but not destroyed. Everybody say, Not destroyed. Not destroyed. <sighs> Broken people hurt people. The goal of a Christian life is that He would make you whole that the power that is in you will be delivered in the right manner. Okay, let me say it to you this way. This is plugged in, but it is not broken. If I were to take a knife and cut it here and then put my mouth on it, that would not be, be fun for you, but it would not be fun for me. Power flows rightly through an unbroken vessel. It is important that you understand the importance of being made whole before you try to be used by God. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. Just, just hold on. Because there are so many people that feel a call to ministry, but your greatest call is, is being made whole. Otherwise, you'll just go out and hurt people because you're broken and you're filled with power. Oh my gosh, come on now. That's why it's so important. And It isn't, isn't that pastors don't want people to not be sent out, but it is that all, a lot of times pastors will release people when they've stopped being broken in certain areas, and sometimes it takes a while to be made whole. Amen. Because just because you're broken doesn't mean there's not power in you if you're a believer in Christ. And we have a lot of believers who think they're called going out and hurting people because they won't take the time to be made whole. That's good stuff. I mean, that's just man just I mean, and here's the thing, you're like, "Well, I don't need, I think I am whole. I'm perfect. I mean, every everything God's totally redeemed me and I'm totally whole and I I'm just whole. I'm just a whole. I'm a donut whole. I'm whole." <laughs> I mean, when was the last time you got in a room and allowed people in a bigger room speak into your life? Cuz that's how you see yourself. Okay, okay. Where, where am I at here? It's dangerous for God to send power through the broken. Listen, I know you want to come to church, get saved, and everything to be safe. But safety does not develop. Safety makes you comfortable. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. This is the most exciting message in the history of the world. Everybody was like, oh, just praying that God would protect you and praying that everything would be easier and praying that your job would be better and praying that people would love you. And Listen, you'll be pressed on every side. You will be perplexed but not abandoned. You will be persecuted but not abandoned. You'll be, you know, all those things. But the reality is God did not die for you and put the power in you so that you can go into safe places. He called you into the alleyways, to the dark places, to where the scoundrels are. He called you into those places, and there will be trouble. But safety, what I've known is the safer my life is in seasons, the less I develop. But the more turmoil and trouble and storms come, the greater I have to manifest and, and trust the headship of Christ. I have to rely on Him. I have to talk to Him. I have to call out to Him. I have to pray. Some of you are praying for life to be easy, and He's sending you into the Chaos so that you can be transformed. Oh my gosh. Mm, mm, mm. We must allow God to direct us in pressure. (laughs) Some of us need to stop being enamored by the tree we need to stop being enamored by the fruit we need to stop being enamored by the roots and some of us need to be thankful for the good soil that God gave through his holy spirit he made our hearts good soil he made the holy put the holy spirit in this, and now we have good soil it is the soil that produces the fruit it is the soil that raises up the seed it is the soil that helps us be rooted some of us need to begin to listen and incline our ear to Christ which is the head of the church. Come on now. His spirit is the soil. Some of us need to quit being enamored by people's gifts and fruits, and we need to be thankful for the soil. We need to stop overlooking the soil in the church, the spirit in the church, and we need to appreciate what gives everything life. Oh my. John 3.30 says this. John is speaking. He's speaking to his followers. He's speaking of Jesus, the one to come. And he says, He must increase and I must decrease. In essence, I'm creating headroom for the new move of God that is to come into the world. I want you to understand the way that we become the hope of glory to the world is by creating headroom for his headship to move and operate in our life. But you have to decrease and let him increase that his headship may reign in your home and his headship may reign in your parenting and his headship may reign in our church. He's calling us to create headroom by becoming less and making him more. Some of us are so thankful about how God is using us that we we refused to let God show up himself. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. He must increase, but I must decrease. I'm going to say this in closing. My closing point. Every transition requires a transformation. (laughs) You can no longer be who you used to be if you're called into who God wants you to be. (laughs) You have to be beheaded. And what you look like yesterday, you shall not look like tomorrow. Because God never calls you to the next dimension of glory looking the same. That's why you started out as sheep, but you became the bride. And you were the bride, but you became sons of God. And I want you to understand today, some of you used to be sinners, but now you're made alive in Christ. And you need to walk like it, and you need to look like it, because every transition transforms. (laughs) And I would... I would say to you today, if the transformation has not come, you've promoted yourself before it was time. Okay. It says of Jesus that He ascended in human form on the day of Pentecost. He came back in spiritual form. Why? Because whenever there's a transition in your life... You cannot do it in the same form. You can't do the next thing in the same form. You can't treat the next opportunity with the same mentality. You can't go through the next door with the same set of friends. You can't have the same language in a new business opportunity. Amen? Notice that going up, track with me, is fleshly. (laughs) Look Look at me. Going up is fleshly. He went up in flesh and came down in spirit. Coming down is spiritual. We must become less that he might become more. We're trying to come up and God is trying to see if you can come down. You're trying to see who you can get over and God is saying I'm trying to see who you can get under. And when I see that you can act under people, I won't be afraid to raise you up You have degrees to be the boss. You have enough experience to be the boss. You have enough wisdom to be the boss. You have enough tools to be the boss. But I came here today to ask you a question. Do you have the humility to be the boss? Because coming up is fleshly. But making yourself low is spiritual. In every area of your life, In every relationship you have, in everything you do, God is calling us to make ourselves low.